0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired NYPD sergeant, detective sergeant from Manhattan North Homicide Squad with 27 years of service. And with me tonight, my co-host, retired NYPD detective straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How
1: you doing, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. Uh, Glad to be here tonight, and I'm delighted to have Eric Allen, who put out some Super, super professional uh, podcast on this case we're going to talk about tonight. All right. Before we
0: get to Eric, I just want to tell everyone that's watching this, if you like Police Off The Cuff Real Crime Stories, please go to our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. And uh, we're st- we, we just hit o- over 20,000 subscribers last night. Get us to 25 and then get us to 30. All right. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We're trying to get there. All right. Anyway, our guest tonight, tonight we're going to be featuring uh, the Murdoch case down in South Carolina. And a couple of weeks ago, I was watching this documentary done by uh, Eric Allen, who's our, our host tonight. And I'm just going to pull up a flyer. Uh, Eric Allen is a real estate videographer, photographer in Beaufort, South Carolina, took ticket upon himself to create a documentary, documentary series on YouTube about the Murdoch murders. His first video, posted just a few weeks ago, has over 150,000 views. With local insight to the area, he offers a fresh uh, perspective on this case. Eric, I mean, I can't tell you how much I really enjoyed your documentary, and it was so professionally done, and it answered so many questions, and you blew away all the the national media. You really did. So, Eric, just uh, welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories.
2: Absolutely, guys. First off, I'm a little nervous. This is this is my first podcast ever. Um, I've listened to a ton, I've watched a ton, and I've never been on one. So um, this is kind of a big moment for me. And so I appreciate you guys being uh, gracious enough to invite me on and have me on. Um, the past couple of weeks have been wild. And uh, I figured there was a chance my video might get some views, but I never expected it to be quite as big as it was. So um, I'm excited to talk with you guys. And uh, talk about this case, and uh, honestly, get y'all's perspective on a few things as well.
0: Well, you know, Eric, one of the things that y'all you know, just we we'll, we'll just mention uh, right off the top is there's like five different incidents in connection. Well, there's more than that, but five main ones, and that we the ones know of, of uh, right, uh, right that we right, know. That of. We know Stephen of. Smith in 2015, right? Um, the um, the maid, I think, I believe that was uh, Miss Satterfield in 2018. She fell down the stairs and uh, a wrongful death lawsuit. And we'll get more into that later. 2019th was the boating accident with Paul Murdoch. And, and we'll get, of course, more into where Mallory Beach was killed and a body wasn't found till five days later. And then, of course, the double homicide of Paul and his mom, which occurred this year in, in 2021. And, and the whole thing about Alex stealing money from the law firm. If you were a writer and wrote novels and handed this to your editor, he would say, no, there's too much going on. You got to edit this down. But this is real life. This is you almost can't believe it. Right.
2: It's very true. And to be honest with you, that's one of the things that that I've been struggling with that people have been telling me I've been doing well with. But really trying to section out this whole story and focus on one section at a time because if you don't focus on one section at a time, you're never going to be, be able to understand the big picture. If, if you try to give a 30,000 foot view of this whole story, you're going to be confused. And so you're right. A, a writer wouldn't recommend this story because there's just <laughs> so much going on.
0: There's moving parts. So let, let's, let's put a little um, slide up on the screen. And this may help our viewers just to get uh, a sort of a bird's eye view of the players. Uh, And up at the top is Randolph Randy Murdoch III. I guess he started the law firm, right? And he actually- I know.
2: Actually, his grandfather started the law firm.
0: Oh, right. It was about 100 years old. But they were also the solicitors in South Carolina, which is our equivalent of the district attorney's office, right? Correct. Correct. And then Randolph Randy, he's also in the law firm. There's uh, Alec. And I know it's spelled Alex, but it's pronounced Alec. We get, we get all kinds of shit when people say it's spelled Alex and you're saying Alec. Cause we were told that's how it's pronounced. Correct. Margaret, Margaret Maggie Kennedy Branstad, she was shot to death on June 7th, uh, John Marvin. He's, uh, he's Paul's uncle. And then we got Richard Alexander Buster Jr. He is implicated in the murder of Stephen Smith. We don't even know all the details to that cause it's very sketchy. And then Paul Murdoch, who allegedly, uh, was the cause of Mallory Beach uh, being jettisoned off his boat and drowning on the, that, that date in 2019. And then he's a victim of a homicide in, uh, in in this year, 2021, June 7th. So just right there, there are so many, so many moving parts to this. And it's just, I just saw you, it's almost like watching a baseball game. You need to know who the players are,
2: right? Absolutely.
1: You know, Eric, uh, from watching your video, the first one, I was very taken back by the fact of obviously how professional it was, but you being boots on the ground, so to speak, in that area, you knew the waterways, you drove through the exact locations that they drove through, uh, you used the drone, obviously, it was really professional. Um, and I think that, uh, there's a big spot for you in the podcast business for sure going forward. And I like the idea of what you said of taking it piece by piece and really focusing on it. That's what we try to do. When we talk about a case, we try to go through it. Although we do a, a lot of times, we'll put a lot of, uh, different pieces into our one hour show. We, we usually try, we, we, uh, we try to stay to, obviously you've been doing uh, a little bit shorter in clips, but I think it's going great. And, uh, Bill, before the show, was saying, geez, you know, I'm kind of, I got to brush up on this. And I says, don't worry, Bill, as soon as you get into it, that intro that he just gave about the case was unbelievable. Bill, I got to give you an answer that. <laughs> well, that was really good. Thank you very much. Eric, I'm right going to you. put,
0: I'm gonna put a, the first part of, of your video, video one, where they make a 911 call. I think it's in the boating accident. I'm going to put this up on the screen and we'll give it a little play here.
3: Oh, what? 911, your emergency? We're in a boat crash on Arthur Street. We have someone missing. Okay. 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 one Okay. Okay my wife and Tom to discuss family. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: It was a warm...
0: I don't need you to narrate it because you're here. That, that was a, a really excellent intro. I mean, the tension that that creates, those two nine one one calls. And now, Eric, just give us, tell us what the first call was, and then segue to the second
2: call. Absolutely. So the first phone call was the boating accident in 2019. Uh, the gentleman making the call, his name is Connor Cook. And uh, that was right after they had impacted a bridge in Beaufort, South Carolina. And we know now um, that the girl that he said was missing is Mallory Beach, and um, that she died that night, unfortunately. And the second phone call was when Alec Murdoch found his wife and his son shot and murdered at their hunting lodge in uh, in South Carolina. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I put those two together is so that I could kind of infer to the audience that there's a chance that these might be connected, that there's a chance one might have caused the other uh, that there might be some sort of connection there somehow. And, uh, and, and to this day, we don't know if there is, there might be, but there's quite a few other things like we spoke about earlier uh, that, that could be connected to that murder of Paul and Maggie Murdoch as well.
0: You know, Alec, one of the... Actually, Eric, I'm calling you Alec. Eric, one of the things that... And and that was great that you did that because it does create that tension and it sort of gives the viewer a place to start. And, you know, of course, I feel that the boating accident and the double murder of uh, Paul and his mom are 100% connected. But I also feel that what runs through this whole drama and everything we see is Alec Murdoch. And I just, my first feelings as a homicide investigator is that he either killed both of them or he had someone else kill them. Because him conveniently showing up, and allegedly they were killed between 9 and 9.30. And unless they have some type of evidence like video camera or someone reported hearing the gunshots, science can't predict time of death that accurately within a half hour. We've had a medical examiner on here, and uh, uh, a medical death investigator on here. And she said, no, four hours is a good window uh, about the best science can do. So how convenient that between nine, and he shows up at 10.07. I just don't buy that. And everything we look at in this investigation, somewhere he comes
1: in. Phil, why don't you uh, weigh in on this? Well, when you talk about the time of death, we had uh, Barbara Butcher on, who's a medical investigator that uh, responded to many crime scenes and, and conducted autopsies and such. Anyways, um, she said that the exact cause of the de- uh, exact time of death, excuse me, uh, really is like a four hour window. And I, Bill and I both knew that from our investigative experience in, in the field. And so but they said between uh, nine and nine thirty. So they left a the half hour window. Two different guns are used in that shooting where it leads me to believe that maybe they weren't shot at the same time, that maybe one was sh- was killed and then the other one may have been lured there, whatever. That's what that indicates to me. I could be off on that, but that's what it's telling me because they're not saying we believe the murder occurred at 930. If someone heard shots, whatever, they'll say 930. They're saying between 9 and 930. So there might have been two volleys of shots. There was definitely two different guns. So that, uh, you know, that's what that part of it is. Now, as a a, a homicide investigator, uh, we go to the scene of a double murder. The first question we're going to ask. Alec is this, is there anybody that you can think of that you have any enemies or anybody who would want to hurt you or your family? So that, uh, labeling him as being a person of interest and labeling him, you know, was there anybody that would want to hurt you? The first thing you would go to and they may have had prior knowledge would be the boating accident. So obviously that would be, uh, the first place that I would, uh, stick my nose in and try to, you know, investigate. So I think Billy, you're, uh, your, uh, your instincts on that are 100% correct. But I think that uh, Eric, in his videos now, has shown us a, a lot of different sides of this thing. And, uh, you know, uh, you want to comment on that, Eric?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really interesting hearing y'all's perspective on all this. Um, at this moment where I'm at, kind of researching this case, I'm not an expert on the case in its entirety by any means, but. I have been doing a lot of research into the boating accident and the potential implications for that one of the things that i can't wrap my head around though is what would Alec's motive be for killing his wife and son because it seems that this event is the catalyst for his unraveling in the past few months for all of these things coming to light it seems like that that event really put all of the eyes on Alec murdoch and has been really his his unraveling, and so the the motive for that is a little unclear to me. Um, there the connections to the boat crash that seem like potential connections to me would be, um, and and I to be honest, I actually don't think either of these are true, but I'm open to the possibility. If Paul was driving the boat, then Anthony mallory beach's boyfriend might have motive to kill paul if paul wasn't driving the boat which um if anyone watching this watches my second episode i don't know who was driving the boat but it seems like there's a good chance or a decent chance that connor might have been driving the boat so i wonder if there's and yet motive. Conor, I-
0: connor is anthony's cousin
2: correct yes right. connor is anthony's cousin. And it it makes me wonder, I know that Paul had some sort of a hearing a couple of days after he was murdered. And so I wonder if kind of closing that up might mean that, uh, that, that the boat crash investigation is just kind of done with and Connor might not be implicated, implicated at a later date. So those are a couple of theories that I think might hold some weight, but you know, I I don't really know.
0: You know, Eric, I want to go back to your video now. This is, uh, uh 828 into
2: the video and i'll play i'm gonna play one of the murdoch estates on the river in beaufort now this wasn't just a random group of friends let me explain the dynamic between these people a little bit so miley morgan and mallory were best friends miley was dating connor cook morgan was dating paul murdoch and mallory was dating connor's cousin anthony cook now paul and connor were friends but anthony cook didn't really like Paul. And it was the three girls that really brought this whole group together. They leave around 7 p.m. and it's about an hour long boat ride to the oyster roast that they're going to that night. They arrive at the oyster roast around 8 p.m. and pass downtown Beaufort on the way. They spend about four hours at the party and have a great time. When they decide it's time to leave, it's dark, it's cold, they've been drinking that night, and they have about an hour ride back on the boat. It was said that there were some discussions about just getting an Uber ride home, leaving the boat there and coming back the next day when they had all sobered up. It was daylight and it was much safer to drive the boat back. I don't know all the details of that conversation, but I know what they end up doing is hopping back on the boat and making their way back home. It was said in a witness statement that the boat almost collides with the downtown Beaufort Bridge, but Connor Cook was able to grab the steering wheel from Paul last second, so they avoided the collision. I don't know whose idea it was, but they make a really poor decision and decide to stop at downtown Beaufort so that Paul and Connor can go grab some shots. Obviously, I don't know, but if I had to guess, I would say if they had not made that decision, Mallory Beach would still be alive today.
0: You know, Eric, I just want to comment upon this. Now, they went to this oyster roast, which us in the Northeast, an oyster roast. Oh my God, let's go to the oyster roast. <laughs> we, we, we never heard of anything like that, but I like the idea of going to an oyster it roast. Was anyway. It was it's a beer party. So, it sounds so Southern and so proper. Let's go to the oyster roast. You bring the beer and I'll bring the champagne, you know? Anyway, It's, it's
2: funny because it's not proper at all, actually. No, I know. Just I'm, a, just, I'm
0: just a Northeastern ball breaker, you know? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but the, the point is, is that... Um, you know how dangerous it is on the water in the daytime, right? When you're operating a boat, you have to have your wits about you because you have to know currents. And you, I watched these, and you commented on how treacherous the currents are there. And if you've ever been on the water at night, you cannot see anything. It is When you water the definition of pitch black, that's being on the water, 100%. Am I not right?
2: You're absolutely correct. It's, it's dangerous during the day. You have to be careful. We have really large tide swings, so it fluctuates up to nine or 10 feet. And, um, and boats also, just for people who don't know a, whole lot, a lot about boats, boats don't have headlights. So they have what's called navigational lights, but those are so that other boats can see you not so that you can see what's in front of you. So when you're, when you're riding at night, you really can't see anything in front of you. And most of the time, you're relying on your GPS or chart plotter to kind of make sure you're in the right spot. But those aren't 100% accurate, and there could be other things involved as well. So, um, you know, add into the mix, it was foggy that night. Add into the mix, they were all drinking. And it really is a recipe for disaster.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, going out on a boat at night is dangerous in itself. And then, like, you know, if they were there eating oysters and drinking for four hours, I mean, as you said, it would have been a smart thing. Leave the damn boat here. Let's take an Uber, pick
1: up the boat tomorrow. No big deal, right? Absolutely. Absolutely that's 100% in hindsight what they should have did. But, you know, the, all the drinking, the stopping for the shots, they were clearly heavily intoxicated, specifically Paul and Connor it would seem like because they were the ones that stopped for the shots. So they're, they're pretty they're pretty loaded. Right there, that's that's a reckless move right there. So whoever's operating the boat or whoever owns the boat, which would have been Paul, uh, he's culpable for reckless endangerment Uh Criminality, right there. But then I, I know that there's the uh, the uncertain statements between uh, all the parties after the crash, and then there's the interjection of Alec being an attorney going into the room, uh, explaining different things how they should, you know, what they should say, not to talk, to talk, and I think that you do raise some. Doubt into who was driving the boat in your second episode. 100%. I think you raised it in such a way that Joe Murray, the attorney who's on our show quite frequently, would be very proud of you. You sounded like a defense attorney in your, in your, your, (laughs) your, I guess we'll call it a statement. So uh, it was trying to,
2: but
1: no, no, but listen to me, it was real good. That's, that's what investigation is about. It's about the facts. And sometimes you turn over facts that you think are going to go one way and they go the other way. So, but that's okay. But I said to Bill earlier today, when we were discussing this, if, um, any of the players, any of the primary people involved, whether it had been Mallory or Morgan or any of the other two, um, if they were to be put under oath and sworn in with the, uh, you know, the penalty of perjury looming over over their head, you'd probably get a more direct answer, a more truthful answer. Because there was there was the thing saying, and I and I agreed with what you said. The possibility could be that well, Paul's family, they they're a legal dynasty. Uh, they have tremendous influence in the area. If he takes the weight for it we could all get out of this. That could have been a possibility. I mean, to me, it seems like I'm still a little more in the camp of that Paul was driving the boat because of the statement from Anthony that he said right before the boat crashed, Paul was behind the wheel and then he went to the floor and then the crash happened. So I, I just have a little hard time believing that, you know, um, that Someone else jumped into the the steering wheel and gunned the boat. In that, it sounded like a split second. You know, so, I had a little so problem with that. Go ahead.
2: So interesting fact about that. Um, so what Anthony actually says is um, the last time I grabbed my girlfriend and got down in the bottom of the boat, and he's referring to the time when the throttle was slammed. Um, right. He said Paul was driving. I didn't include this part in my episode, and I probably should have. But I'm, you know, kind of trying to not include too much so that I'm gonna confuse the viewer, but the um, DNR, the um, organization responsible for the investigation, they were able to get the records off of the GPS unit um, on the boat. And the GPS unit shows the locations of the boat um, during different times, it shows the speed of the boat, the orientation of the boat, all of these things. And the moment that they're talking about where the throttle slammed happened about five minutes before they hit the bridge. So the last time that uh, Anthony actually saw Paul driving the boat was about five minutes before they hit the bridge. And they were up on plane going between 15 and 30 miles an hour for about five minutes before they actually hit the bridge.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because to me, my my uh, understanding of, of from your video was that it sounded to me like the throttle was accelerated. Mm-hmm. They fell to the bottom of the boat from the Force of the you know the boat uh, the boat uh, propelling forward and then yeah. the, the crash took place within a second or two. That's what I thought. Yeah. But Now it's and, a little and and more you, clear.
2: And you, and you make a good point because I thought that too when I made my first episode. Um, I I don't think I did a very good job doing a ton of research before my first episode, and so that's one of the things that I wanted to remedy with my second episode. So um, I'm trying to be in a place where if I'm wrong, I'm not gonna. Uh, try to, you know, prove my wrong opinions, right. I'm going to correct myself. I'm going to say, Hey, I was wrong about this and I'm going to try to fix it in a later episode. So um, I did make it sound like uh, that happened right after the accident or right after the throttle was slammed, because I thought the same thing in episode one and found out at a later point that that was not the case. And probably should have included that in my second episode.
0: Eric, let me, let me go back to the tape right here. And then you you can comment after I uh, put this on the screen. Um,
3: Mm, I would say just mostly Paul. Like, there had been, like, some drinking, but, like, saying, like, who was drunk. Like, I would say just Paul.
2: According to depositions, Paul's driving really began to scare the group. Who, at this point, were all really irritated and just ready to get home.
0: You felt comfortable with Connor driving?
3: A lot more comfortable than Paul. Because, like I said, like, he knows... The river better than like anybody else who would have been able to drive. Like we told him, like me and Morgan like sat there and we were like, You need to drive. I
2: told to Connor. Mm-hmm. The group was arguing and trying to convince Paul, who, according to Miley, was clearly the most drunk person in the group, to let Connor Cook drive the boat instead. According to a witness statement, Paul replied with, Y'all think y'all know this river better than me. This is my boat and I'll be damned if anyone else drives my boat. While also taunting the group by slowing the boat down, driving around in circles and just generally being irresponsible. According to Anthony, he and Mallory were in the back of the boat when Mallory yelled out at Paul saying she was scared of his driving. I have a quote here from Anthony that says, he turned and pointed at her and I could tell he was about to say something and I told him to not make that mistake. He stared at me for a second and went to the steering wheel. At 2.13 in the morning, the boat enters Archer's Creek. According to witness statements, the boat was right around here when the speed of the boat slows down and Paul moves to the front of the boat to argue with his girlfriend, Morgan. In this shot, you can see the bridge in the distance, but at 2.13 in the morning, it cannot be seen at all. It's alleged that Paul was drunk, angry, and hit and spit on Morgan before returning to the wheel of the boat. The boat then rapidly accelerates to 29 miles per hour before impacting that bridge. Paul, Mallory, and Anthony were thrown into the dark, cold water. The boat, still running at this point, speeds back up before hitting the bank on the other side of the creek. As he resurfaces, he sees Paul in the water on the other side of the creek. He can make out the cries of Morgan and Miley in the boat as Connor calls 911 for a broken jaw. But as he treads water, his shouts for Mallory go completely unanswered. Mallory is missing.
0: Crazy, right? I mean, I'll go back to it, but I mean, you know, I think that even if um, someone else was driving, he is still responsible. Paul is still responsible for it. I, I'm not. Con- I think he, he was driving anyway. But if someone else took the wheel at some point, I still. He's the captain of the ship, really. I, I don't know if that's in maritime law, that if you're the person who owns the boat or whatever, you're responsible. But he showed such irresponsibility to begin with, from you know getting so hammered, drinking all day, and then in the pitch dark trying to drive a boat back uh, over an hour ride. I thought that was ridiculously irresponsible.
1: Go ahead, go ahead, Eric.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt um, that at the very least Paul should have been held at least partially responsible. At the very least, um, his actions that night—I um, mean, he drove the boat drunk, for sure. Whether he was the one driving when they hit the bridge or not, we don't know. But he put all of their lives in danger at at, at some point for sure, and uh, and did some really bad things that night. And the quote that I mentioned about. Paul saying nobody drives my boat, but me Um, that, I mean, that is a thing for boaters, you know, to let another guy drive your boat, you know? And so I see that as good evidence that Paul was driving the boat. I, I think because of my second episode, some people think that I believe that Connor was driving the boat and that's just not the case. I think I saw everyone reporting on all this evidence that showed Paul was driving the boat. And no one reporting on all this evidence that showed maybe it was Connor. So I spent a good amount of time in my second episode talking about the evidence that pointed towards the potential that Connor was driving the boat. Um, But I don't believe that Connor was driving the boat or that Paul was driving the boat. I don't believe anything. I don't know. You know, it's kind of my position. I think there's a good chance that Paul was driving the boat. And uh, that's definitely some good evidence for it. Eric, least-
0: Eric, let me get back to your video because this is getting to the real when the accident happens.
1: Before, before you do that, I just want to make one quick statement about okay. it. Eric, if Bill and I were the investigators that responded to this case, and we talked about this earlier today before we are on the air, we would have separated everybody and we would have gotten a good statement out of everyone very detailed it would have been documented and I think that would have been the key to finding out who was driving the boat because once you have the statements now there's a couple of inconsistencies are allowed between your statement and my statement and Bill's statement, let's say. But if you see that one statement's completely off, you go back at that person and you find out who's telling the truth and who's lying, and you get a good picture of what was going on. And the fact that uh, Alec was allowed to go into the interview rooms and talk to these people, that was just, that was improper. And uh, I think if that had been done, uh, you'd have a better idea at this point, but still, going forward, like I said, if people have to testify on the road, or if they go to a grand jury or a trial, uh, and you have the penalty of perjury hanging over your head, you're more inclined to tell the truth.
0: Absolutely, you know. I think also many people watching this, as well as myself, and probably I probably uh, speak for uh, Phil too, is that Paul Murdoch comes across as an asshole. You know what I mean? Just putting spits, at, spits at his girlfriend. He's like a little spoiled brat. I wish that if maybe if the guy Anthony gave him a beating, this wouldn't have happened,
2: you know. I think but we all would have been okay with that.
0: Yeah, yeah just, and he,
1: that was that was a real New York term beating. That's, that's give him a New give York him a beating, right? yeah, yeah. With with
0: with Jimmy's uh, axe handle, you know. Yeah, it <laughs> would have been a whooping down
2: here, but yeah, yeah, yeah. a whooping. Yeah. All
0: right, let me go back to your tape because this is super interesting, and uh we'll add it to the stream right now and Give it a look. Anthony, where where did he land in the water? Where was he in the water? He was,
3: like, almost where we hit, over on the side. Like, I think, like, where we hit was, like, the second, like, pilot in the water, like, from the shore on the opposite side of where the boat, what, like, ended up. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think he was, like, over there, like, furthest away from us. And then Paul was only, like, one or two away from this side. So he was
0: closer, Anthony was closer to the uh, land on the other side than he mm-hmm. was the
3: side where the boat wind up so he had to swim across mm-hmm. so you know, i think before everybody had gotten there like i went back to morgan and i tried to get her to come with me but she was like i don't want to move because like her she didn't want to like lose any more blood or anything like that oh what 911 where's your emergency please fire of us hello we're in a boat crash on arthur street we're, we're about on Archer Street? In Archer Street, the only bridge on Archer Street. Archer Street? Archer's Creek. Archer Creek. Archer's Creek. Archer's Creek. It, okay. What's going on? It's by Parasol. Right. What, what's going on? We, we're in a boat crash. You know what? What kind of a a boat crash? A, a boat? Did you say a boat crash? A boat crash. No,
0: it's a creek. Okay, yeah, so a at, boat. <laughs>
3: are you at the dock? Hello, are you are you at the dock? No, we just crashed in a boat. Okay, are you in the water? Or are you? We're we're in the boat. I'
2: okay? The creek that they're on is a relatively small creek that separates the kind of main part of Beaufort from Paris Island. but there's a larger bridge right next to Paris Island that's way more popular that often people call the Paris Island Bridge. Miscommunication and just general confusion about where they were actually at led to an almost 40 minutes response time before anyone would show
3: up. Call in reference to a disabled, I'm sorry, a boat crash. There's six people on board. They currently have one missing. All right, it's in Archer's Creek, which is right there off of Paris Island. There's a bridge on Paris Island. They're underneath it. They crashed into the bridge. Tap four. I'll be to the Bell Bridge. Can you also notify Port Royal and Aff- the no know as well? Affirmative. We're making notifications. Okay, do you have a description of person? It's uh, one female. Uh, that's all the description I have of her right now. EMS wanted to respond to an accident with injuries. 50 Marina Drive, Boulevard, Parasol. Evidently, the girl was sitting on her boyfriend's lap when they hit the bridge at a high rate of speed, and now she's missing. Um, which, which bridge did they hear? The one on the golf Stand by, sir. Um, they hit the, the actual pants on the bridge, right?
2: We don't know. While the responders were trying to make their way to the scene, the tensions and arguments and yelling at the creek were getting worse and worse. Luckily, officers were able to arrive on scene before any physical altercations took place.
0: When y'all were on the bank
2: after it happened,
1: was there any type of altercation or anything between anybody?
3: Anthony was, like, mad at Paul, and, like, he didn't want to near him, and then Morgan, like, because Paul, like I said, he was in the water for a while, Morgan was sitting in the front, but screaming, because she heard her hand, but then um, he came back short, and he tried to help Morgan, and she was, didn't want anything to do with him, she was, like, get away from me, she didn't want to talk to him at all, and, like, he didn't care that Mallory was missing, because she was, like, upset, she was, like, Get away from me! Like I'm fine, but Mallory's missing, and I was standing right there next to him. And Paul like smiled or something, and Anthony saw him smile, and he was like, he think this is funny?" You know, all this kind of stuff. And he like was like about to like go and like fight him because he was that mad because he was like smiling about it.
0: Unbelievable, right? Here's this kid just caused the death of a beautiful 19-year-old girl. And he's laughing and smiling as if this, this isn't real. Like, you know, somehow he's going to get out of this, you know, it just, it's unfathomable that that, that was his behavior after this occurrence.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, it,
2: it really is. Um, it really is unfathomable. Um, I I play the audio, the, the moment that she's talking about, I play that audio as the intro to my second episode and it really is heartbreaking to listen to. Um, It really is incomprehensible. Like you were saying, I don't understand how someone can think like that. Um, And it's just sad.
1: You know, when you talk about motive earlier in the, in the episode, we talked about whether or not Alec would have motive to kill his, uh, his wife and his son. And uh, I, I don't know if there's motive, but there was definitely Uh, As they say, where there's smoke, there's fire. There was a lot of smoke because she allegedly hired a uh, a, uh, forensic accountant to look into their finances. He was obviously clipping money from his law firm. And then um, we don't know what the relationship between Paul and his father was. I mean, you know, he was obviously responsible for this boating accident, whether he was behind the wheel or not. As Bill stated, he was highly intoxicated. Uh, He didn't show any remorse for the whole thing. So I don't know that. You know, Alec is responsible for it or if he had something to do with it and hired someone else. But uh, again, uh, Anthony, as you played in your second episode, had a very, very hard time with the the death of Mallory, obviously. And uh, he seemed like he was in a pretty dark place at times. So he obviously would be looked at as a suspect in that uh, in that um, double murder. Um, I don't know if he's capable of that. I don't know what uh, you know uh, where his head is at now. But I'm sure that uh, you know the uh, sled will be looking into that. But uh, th- those are two different angles for uh, for motive that pop into my head right away. And again, uh, you know his lack of empathy towards the fact that someone died a beautiful young girl died and and showing no remorse whether or not he was at the wheel or not it was his boat they stopped for the extra alcohol they were driving blindly in the dark he made the decision to go forward rather than take an uber and look i don't want to you know uh blemish the kid that, that you know he's dead and everything but i mean the facts are the facts is. and uh you know it is what it is as they say and um I think that maybe his, you know, maybe his uh, his family, his upbringing, led him to be that kind of a, you know, a cold person and, and uh, you know, showing no remorse. I don't know. I don't know what his personality was like, but he sounds like uh, he sounds like a shitbag to me.
0: You know, Eric just to interject one thing before we I show a little bit more of this this first video. Um, Alex's motive to kill his wife and Paul is just as simple as. The motive to have the guy kill him—insurance money. He was looking. He probably had blown through all his money, especially if he was using drugs. And the next thing I'm, I'm surprised we haven't heard yet is that he's got a gumata. I, you you know, know, Billy. I,
1: I was just going to say something about that. I don't know. Eric's, Eric's, Eric's baffled. He's from the south. He doesn't know what that no, no, is. No. I is. It's it's a girlfriend. He's got a girlfriend on the side. But wait, wait, I just <laughs> got to get this out. This is important. Where did all this friggin' money go? I know that, you know, people can blow money on drugs, but they don't blow it just on drugs. I mean, look at Hunter Biden. He blew it on hookers and all these other different things. That's what a drug addict would do. You know what I mean? I, it, it's too much money. You're talking about $5 million from the law firm. You're talking about another $1.5 missing from... Uh, the Satterfield, uh, the the, the person that worked in the home that died from falling down the steps, there was a settlement there that he absconded with that money. A piece of it went to the lawyer that handled the case, but he probably got about a million dollars from that. So you're talking about large amounts of money. And then... What about he was involved in this big legal dynasty? He had to be drawing a huge salary and plus, uh, you know, wh- whatever profits there are in the firm. He was a partner in the firm. So a lot of money is unaccounted for. And that really has me puzzled and has me questioning. But go ahead, Eric. You got something to say, I can say.
2: All that to say, I, I think that's, I think if you follow the money, you find the answer. And, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know where the money went. But I think, I think at the end of this, there's a bigger story here, and we find 100%. it by following the money. Because you no, know, it, it Eric, had to you're have a, gone somewhere.
0: You're a very wise man for your age. You're a hundred percent good instincts, Eric. Follow yeah, the evening. money, and you will yeah. find the root of all evil. Right? That's yes. they say. Money, money is the root yeah. of all evil. I 100%. guarantee. Look, someone that uses drugs makes very bad decisions. Whether he, whether he was banging hoes—that's another New York expression. Oh, he had a gumata. We have that down here. <laughs> he had a gumata, or he was a gambler. Gumata,
1: wait, let me let me explain. Gumata, gumata in <laughs> Italian it means godmother, but it's a nice way of saying you know his gumata is his girlfriend. But go ahead, right.
0: thank you mind. for that Brooklyn Italian le- lesson because they don't uh, know listen, about that. They don't know about that in Buford, South Carolina. That's why we I got to
1: explain it. I got. I thought it.
0: Eric was going to ask for an interpreter to interpret our accents So understand. If you watch The, the
1: Sopranos, it. the word gumata is used quite a bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. So so no, I, I, you know, something,
0: Eric, I think you're so right. You follow the money and they haven't taken a deep, deep dive into this whole family and they really need a forensic, not just accountant, but they need the American Bar Association to take a deep dive into the cases that they've, uh, you know, they've won cases, they've won cases, they've lost and see what the decisions were by the local judges see how that maybe they were given preferential treatment by law enforcement. I think that you're going to uncover a shitstorm of corruption in this case. And, uh, you know, God, Eric, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to keep talking.
2: No, no, you're good. I, you, you bring up a very good point there. I think there's a lot of wider implications outside of Alec Murdoch. I think he's the one that's going to be shining light on a lot of other people. I know that right now, The law firm that uh, his great grandfather started 100 years ago uh, has, you know, four other partners at the moment. It's a large law firm with a lot of lawyers and they're doing their best to distance themselves themselves from Alec Murdoch right now. And I don't know. I don't have any evidence, but I would guess that a lot of this stuff is going to implicate the entire law firm and not just Alec Murdoch. And not only the law firm, but potentially judges and potentially elected officials and things of that nature. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think we're talking about this one guy right now who's responsible for a lot of criminal activity. But I think it's going to be a doorway to seeing a lot more.
0: As they say down south, there's going to be a shit storm of trouble for the Murdoch firm. <laughs> I love that.
1: Philly. That was great. That was great. Well, listen, we yeah. got the dirty laundries in the Petito case. I think we're going to have the dirty Murdochs in, in South Carolina because... This was very telling the day after it was announced that he had embezzled all kinds of money from his firm, his own brother statement. I do not condone support or excuse my brother's conduct in stealing by manipulating his most trusted relationships. That's telling me he was robbing from clients of the firm. His own brother threw him under the bus. Like you said, Eric, very good instincts. They want to distance himself from this whole bag of shit, as we would call it in the NYPD. It's a big bag of shit. And the thing is <laughs> that they've been shielded. Billy, you like that? The yeah, I like the that bureau? one. That was pretty good. I, <laughs> Listen, I, I, real quick, what a bag of shit is, when we were in the, in, you know, in the detective bureau and you catch a shitty case like a body is dumped and you don't know who it is, there's no identification and you're starting from like zero, they call that a bag of shit. In other words, you really got a hard one to, to figure out. But the, the law firm has a bag of shit with the, with the Murdoch family regarding Alec and what I think is there's been a shield around them for many many years whether it goes back to um young Stephen Smith or Mallory Beach with the boating accident or Gloria Satterfield with with the falling down the stairs there's been a shield around them now the shield has been broken they're exposed they're wide open so what happens everybody involved is trying to run for cover away from them, you know, and that's what I think is going on here. But Eric, you, you and Bill made two good points tonight. And there's a much bigger story here. We're not seeing the whole story. We're not in intimately involved in the investigation. with regard to the case folder and, Perfect example of that is that when they started the June 7th, 2021 double homicide investigation, they reopened the hit and run case, which it's not a hit and run. Let's let's not fool ourselves. Right, right. Smith. That has that stinks like a, a rotten fish out in the sun for a week. I mean, that's disgusting. What went you should on have
0: said uh, rotten fish at the Fulton Fish Market, but that's Since not open know, anymore. So you have the Bronx Terminal Market. I'm going to put Eric's uh, the last part of your video on the screen. Uh, and we'll just finish the first part
2: made some really stupid choices. I think that Paul showed that he had very little regard for the other human life that was on his boat. So it's two years later, justice has not been served for the death of Mallory beach and Paul Murdoch is found shot on his family's hunting lodge. So who might want Paul Murdoch dead? It's not hard to speculate what might've happened, but trust me when I say there is so much more to this story. I'm gonna be covering the rest of what happens at the scene, what happens at the hospital, (coughs) and the investigation that follows in part two. But let me just say with the power and influence that the Murdoch family has over the court system, over law enforcement, it left many people wondering if justice would ever be served.
0: Amazing. You know, your, your work is fantastic. It oh, really absolutely. is. Absolutely.
1: I mean. that, that first image, that young man, that was Anthony Cook that was leaning on the police car that we saw. Now, you could see by his appearance, he, he looked like he was obviously very dazed and confused. He had an injury. I believe he had a broken jaw. Is that correct, Derek?
2: His cousin Connor had the broken jaw. He had,
1: okay. But he looked like he was banged up. He may have still been intoxicated, but he was obviously very uh, disoriented. So, again, inconsistencies with statements that he made at the scene. And inconsistencies, maybe even back at wherever they took them. I can understand there being some inconsistencies. But again, when I said Bill and I, if we were on this case, we would drill down on it. It would take some time, but we would separate everybody. You don't want to ever interview people who are witnesses to possible criminal activity. You always want to separate them just for the mere fact that you don't want one person saying something, the other person hearing it and repeating it, even though they didn't see it. You want what the people see. That's very important in any investigation. And- You know,
0: and Eric, the most important thing is to lock them into a statement that they can't later on say, Oh, I didn't mean that, I meant this, you know, because you have them sign their statement, you actually even can have them write it out in their own handwriting and
1: then you rewrite yeah. it. You know What we do is we get a good solid statement and then we go out and we try to corroborate what they said, but other people or witnesses or video cameras. And then when we find that there's an inconsistency, we would call them back in and we'd say, listen, you told us this on that. Could you tell us the story again? And if they repeat the same story, then we say, you know what? Are you sure about that? Like we kind of start drawing the possibility to some kind of a lie going on here. And then we might, over time, hit them with, well, guess what? We have a video camera that says that didn't happen. This happened, you know, different things like that. Those are the techniques that we would use. And that's bottom line, what we think should have happened in this case. Maybe it did. Uh, it seems like it didn't.
2: Yeah, you make a really interesting point there about separating the group, getting statements from everyone kind of immediately after the accident um, on their own. And, and one of the things that, that is so interesting to me about that is the night of the accident, uh, they were separated And the night of the accident, Anthony Cook was the only one that said Paul was driving. And two other people said that Connor was driving. So the night of the accident, we have Paul saying that Connor was driving. Morgan actually writes a handwritten statement the night of the accident. She says, I don't want anyone in the room. I just want my mother and I want this officer. And she writes out a handwritten statement saying that Connor was driving. Um, And like I said, when Anthony said that Paul was driving, he said, the last time I looked and got down on the floor. So he's referring to about five minutes before they impacted the bridge. Um, It wasn't until the next day when a couple of people had talked that Morgan comes back in and says, I have the strangest feeling that Paul was driving. And then Miley adds to her statement from the previous day that Paul was driving because she didn't write that on her first statement. So that's what kind of confuses me about this whole thing is the night of the accident, Anthony was the only one that said Paul was driving. And he didn't even really say Paul was driving when we hit the bridge. He said Paul was driving five minutes before we hit the bridge. And that's the last thing I saw. So that's one of the things that really confused me. And when we actually go back and listen to the tapes, which I would love to have you guys listen to this certain uh, segment in episode two, um, because there's a moment where he's talking about the last time uh, he saw Paul driving was when he got down in the bottom of the boat. And then a little bit later, another officer comes to him and says, um, well, I'll I'll let you guys listen to it. And then I want to get your uh, I want to get your thoughts on it.
0: It's on it's on episode two. What's the time?
2: Yeah. So the time is um, uh, let's go ahead and start at 1132. And we'll probably be listening to about 45 seconds to a minute. Okay. Um, 11 minutes and 32 seconds. And so, again, y'all's perspective will be really valuable to me because I heard this and it, it, it seemed a little off to me. Um, but I'm not a police officer. I don't have a background in that. And so I didn't really talk about that a whole lot in the episode. But To show you how selective reporting can shape a narrative. But here's the clips in their entirety.
3: Hey, I'm with the Department of Natural Resources. Who was driving the, the boat right out up. Last time I grabbed my girlfriend and got down in the bottom of the boat, Paul was driving.
2: So when Anthony is asked who was driving the boat, he doesn't respond with just Paul. When we hit the bridge, Paul was driving. He responds with the last time I grabbed my girlfriend and got down in the bottom of the boat, Paul was driving. He makes a point to preface his statement about Paul driving. He's asked the same question again later. Listen carefully to what happens here. Thank
3: hey you. The driver is the one with no clothes on, correct? To be honest with you. On the the one you were getting mad at back there. He had he was in his drawer. He what was the a- last one driving whenever Never. I got down in the floor of the, the boat Yes.
2: So when he's asked That's the good. question again, he replies with, to be honest with you. So that caught me a little off guard. It it would be my impression that if a police officer is asking a suspect something, he wants the suspect or not even suspect, but witness whoever to just almost blabber on and give as much information as possible so that they can use that in their investigation. And so to hear an officer cut someone off when they say, to be honest with you, like, like they're about to give new information. Uh, and not only did he cut him off, but he cut him off and, and led him towards Paul. And, and that seemed really odd to me and maybe it's not odd. And I'd love to get y'all's insight on, on kind of that segment.
1: Go ahead, Phil. Well, uh, to me, I don't know. It kind of sounds like he's not certain who was driving the boat based on the two segments. All right. That's what it sounds like to me. But in defense of the officer, I think it was already established that people believed Paul was driving the boat and he just wanted to like double check and say is the guy with the, with the shorts over there. So, I mean, listen, it, it I mean, sounds like, uh, he's not certain who was driving the boat. It does sound that way. I give you that. Now here's the other thing. When, uh, you said that, um, that, uh, Morgan came in or Miley came in the next day to change her statement.
2: Morgan did. Yes.
1: Morgan. So when she comes in, what I would do is if she wanted to add something or change something, I would, first thing I would ask her, have you spoken to anyone about what you told the police or about your statement? She says, no, I'd dump her cell phone and find out if she was talking to anybody. And then I would call her back in and say, you, you, you told me you didn't talk to nobody. We have your cell phone records. You had phone calls to this person, that person. I'll ask her, did you talk to Anthony? Did you talk to Connor? Did you talk to um, Morgan? And if she says, no, I didn't. I mean, then you're going to have a cell phone record. So there's ways of, Looking into these discrepancies—that's the point I'm trying to make—and I do believe, based on what you ju- what we just played, those two segments when he first asked him and then when he asked him later on it sounds almost as if he's not 100% certain who was driving the boat because n- based on the new information that you gave us tonight, that there was a five-minute lag. See, I was under the impression that there was a fight with, between Paul and his girlfriend in the front of the boat. He storms away from the boat like he goes to hit her or argue with her, and then he guns the boat, and I thought that's how the accident happened. It sounds a little bit different now tonight.
2: Yeah, and and the reason we think that's what happened and the reason I thought that was happened, is because that's what Miley claims in her deposition, and I believe Connor did too. So that's the story that they told the police officers. That's the story that I read and based my first episode on Um, it. Connor actually told them that the GPS was lying. So I'm not sure why Connor would tell the cops that the GPS unit was lying. But obviously, from an outsider's perspective, we're going to trust the GPS over, you know, a human witness. But um, that's what kind of confuses me a little bit about this whole thing. Bill, what do you think,
0: Phil? Eric, I just just wanted you to read Joe Murray's commercial, and then uh, we'll get back into this. Go ahead, Phil. You could do that.
1: Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York City area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. And his telephone number is 646-838-1702. That's 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com.
0: Sorry, Eric, but we got to pay the bills, you know?
2: (laughs) Completely understood. (laughs) I get it.
0: Um, You know, Eric, we're at, like we're getting close to an hour. We, we don't like to go much past an hour, but would you, would you promise to come back another
1: time?
2: Absolutely. I've really enjoyed this thoroughly.
1: This is such a wealth. And I mean, we didn't even scratch the day. I was just going to say that we, we only focused really on the boating, but, but Bill, before we go, do do you have an opinion on what you think about what he was saying as far as who was driving the boat with Anthony? Well,
0: one of the things I read and I, I watched uh, in Eric's uh, documentary was that, um, Paul and uh, Connor were like sitting right next to each other and they were actually like horse playing and like hitting each other. So even though Connor was in the left-hand seat and Paul was in the right, it's still very possible that Paul was driving because they were, you know, they were, they were drunk and they were acting like assholes. And I still think Paul was driving because he was, he's, look, he's a little, he's a little weasel. And he, he, for him to drive the boat is a power trip. And no one's driving my boat. And that was his whole posture. And it wasn't even his boat, his daddy's boat. It was registered to the law firm, it was insured by the law firm. So this is a spoiled little rich kid. And I don't believe he would let anyone else drive that boat. And that's why I believe, you know, maybe, maybe Connor took the wheel for a couple of seconds when he was uh, spitting at his girlfriend and fighting with his girlfriend. But other than that, I really believe that
1: Paul was driving the boat. One, one last thing on that, Bill. Um, there was talk, and I think you, you said it in your, your first video that uh, there was a point where the boat was going towards a different location and somebody grabbed the wheel and, and, and turned it and they didn't strike whatever it was. I think it was another bridge. Uh, bottom line is this. When you're going fast in a boat, you can turn the wheel quick. You're still going to be – hurling uh, many many feet forward even in a second or two so if there was an attempt to try and steer the boat away from that bridge which if you look at the impact it does look like somebody might have turned unless they hit it on an angle and it just because it hits and then it's it speeds right to the shoreline so it looks like maybe there was an attempt I still think that the culpability lay, lies on Paul although I do believe that Anthony is uncertain at that point
0: 100%. You know, I just want to, uh, I mean, that gives you a good idea of the Murdoch family right there. There's a little bit of a family tree. It's not the entire family tree, but it gives you a bit of an idea. I just also want to thank everyone uh, that's been helping out police off the cuff, real crime stories, especially duty Ron, duty Ron. Thank you so much for that $5, excuse me, that $10 super chat and duty Ron. Congratulations. He has a video uh, that's going to hit a million, uh, a million uh, million views. A million views in four days. That's like incredible, just yeah. incredible. And he's going to probably hit 90,000 subscribers. And I'm proud to have him as a friend. And he's actually been a uh, he's he's coached me in, in, in the ways of YouTube. Uh, and he's way more experienced at it than me. But I really want to thank him. I want to thank all of our police off the cuff family. And if you're not part of the family, please go to our YouTube Hit that subscribe button. You can see Phil and I are both very sexy. Hit the subscribe button. Ring that bell. Give us a thumbs up. All right? You know, we also have a Patreon. I'm not going to get into the whole selling point today, but this is – Eric, you, you, you got a great career ahead of you if, you if you decide to be an investigative journalist, you know, because this was one of the best documentaries I've seen. And to get the information is not an easy thing, and I know that. You know, I'm sure you hit – Many barriers trying to get this information. Thank you, Holly W, for the 99-cent super sticker. Duty, Ron, and you, you other folks that I didn't uh, call out, all you people with the green, the green uh, font, you're members of the police off the cuff, uh, YouTube family. I appreciate everyone out there. I'm sorry I couldn't just shout out to everyone today, but Eric, Eric has been so fascinating. He was so humble to come on this show. And here he is like going like I am not worthy to be among you, but he's he is worthy to be on this show, I'll tell you he, that much. He sure is, he sure Eric, is. you can also see what ball busters too. You know, there's gotta be some like humor. It. There's gotta be some humor in this stuff too, because I never heard yeah. of an oyster roast. I just never <laughs> heard of that, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we have we have pig roasts, you know. Phil's from Brooklyn. They have veal cutlet, Parmesan roasts. You know, they've uh, they walk around with their finger in the espresso cup. You know that we that stuff True. we're used to. True. You know, True. you got. The, hey, Eric, I want to ask you one thing: How many beans in a sambuca in a in a snifter? Oh, uh, he's <laughs> oh my he god, he's that. gonna fail this Zero test
2: idea. No <laughs> clue. All right, Absolutely from the,
0: no from New York, it has to be three beans. So if you have a sambuca and a Snifter, make sure they have three beans in there. Any more than that, any less. You go, hey, what's going on here? Forget when, about it.
1: When he comes to New York, we'll take him to a restaurant, and yes. we'll get him a Zambuco with a black coffee, and we'll put three beans in it. That's sure. right. And He'll
0: say, that's right. That's right. I knew it had to have three beans, you know.
1: That sounds like a great time. I will
2: take you guys up on that. (laughs) Absolutely, Now,
0: Eric, I just want to ask you, um, you have any last words, any things you want to say, anything you want to plug?
2: Um, Yeah, I I guess I'll just real quick plug my YouTube channel. Um, I've only got uh, four videos on it right now, but I'm working hard on the next one. Um, If you just search Eric Allen on YouTube, you'll find me, and obviously I'd appreciate subscriptions. Um, I do have a Patreon, Eric Allen, um, where I'm posting a little bit of extra content and you also get to see some of these episodes early if anybody is interested in that. But I guess uh, first off, or lastly, I just want to thank you guys. Like I said, this is my first podcast, never done anything like this. And y'all, it just felt like talking to some friends. And uh, I think that's, that's the way it should that's be. What
1: we, that's what we try to do. We yeah, try to really. make it a conversation. That's our, uh, yeah. that's our mantra. So thank you. Oh, yeah. folks,
0: also besides Eric, uh, tomorrow night, we, we're going to go back to the Gabby Petito case and we have Judge Uh, Pat Patricia Domingo from the TV show, hot bench Good judge. Good judge. The judge is going to come on and she's going to go over all the legal issues. She's going to, she's really excited about coming on, you know, uh, I guess she, she she saw two sexy guys, one from Brooklyn. She said, I got to come on this podcast, oh you know, <laughs> and they got good jokes. They got mad jokes, too, you know, so she's going to come Billy, on the podcast. Billy's on
1: fire tonight. I just got to let you in on something, Eric. <laughs> he's also a stand-up comedian. He hasn't been doing it lately, but he's a stand-up comedian, <laughs> plays <laughs> guitar, a college professor, a retired <laughs> sergeant from the Manhattan North Homicide Squad. I'm telling you, he's really, uh, he's a talented guy. He really is. A you know something- good list of accolades. Eric, one of the things
0: that we always say, and I'm sure you'll, if you stay in this YouTube, uh, uh, podcasting business, one of the things you'll like the most about it is meeting the super people we meet through this yeah, show. Yeah, hundred percent. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And uh, and I know you're gonna have an amazing career doing this if you if you decide to do this. You know, some people this is their job, like our buddy Duty Run. I just telling him he, he hits ninety, hits a hundred thousand, he must well quit his job. He doesn't yeah, need his yeah. job anymore, you know?
3: Yeah.
0: So that's that's about the way. So I will definitely stay in touch with you. I'll reach out to you because oh, we're going to stay on this case. This case is fascinating. It's fascinating. and it's But, it, you know, it's funny how in the news industry, a bigger story knocks a smaller story off, and then it, the, yeah. the story comes back up. But it's just it's just incredible.
1: This, this this story is definitely going to be in the, uh, you know, the the the, the new cycle again uh, yeah. with splashes. It's, it really hasn't died out completely. I think the the Petito case kind of, uh, you know, uh, put it a little bit below, but uh, it's going to be in the uh, in the new cycle again. Real quick, I'm going to give a parting words here. Mallory Beach's family, our condolences to you. I mean, I'm sure this is probably like opening an old wound. We just want justice for her. And if Anthony was, uh, I'm sorry, if if Connor was driving the boat, then he would be culpable. Whoever it it turns out to be would still be held uh, culpable in this case. Eric, it was so great to have you on. You're a true professional. I think you're going to have a great career in this podcast stuff. And when you do, or, or as Bill said, an investigative journalist, when you do, you got two great NYPD, a sergeant <laughs> and a detective, both went in the detective bureau many years. And we would love to come on your show or or comment if you have something. Uh, and I hope, I just can't wait till you come back on because like Billy said, we only scratched the surface. There's a lot more to talk about on this case. We could probably talk for five hours on this case and still only be halfway through all the craziness that's going on in it.
0: 100%. And you know, Eric, the people in the chat are saying, oh, this guy is very interesting. This guy's great, blah, blah, blah. So it's not just us that are saying that. People are noticing you and uh, you'll stay at it. And you'll, you know, I think you'll do very well. You
1: know, Absolutely.
0: We should introduce him to, to Mike Colon, who's a great broadcaster. and, and oh, you yeah.
2: know. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I appreciate ahead. that, guys. Thank you so much.
0: All right, Eric. So uh, for all our Police Off the Cuff fans, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow night with Judge uh, Patricia DeMongo at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On behalf of Police Off the Cuff, I'm Bill Cannon and my co-host, Phil Grimaldi. Have a great night, everybody. Stay safe, everyone.